When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, my guest host, my Uncle Bill Post, will be here and we'll take on your questions about wedding budget conversations, new roommates when living abroad, whether or not to send thank you notes for contract renewals, and how to be understanding when your neighbor's dog leaves presents on your lawn. Plus a postscript segment on, you guessed it, Thank you notes. Once again, we're bringing it back because there's just more to talk about. All of that is coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Bill Post. (laughs) I am so excited to introduce you to Dan's and my uncle, Bill Post, who is my guest co-host for the show today. Uncle Bill, I'm so glad to have you here because as most of our listeners know, Dan is actually at the hospital right now. Pooja is in labor and we are hoping to have a wonderful new dad on our show in a couple weeks. But I've got you here with me today. So I'm delighted to be here, Liz. Good. Uh, I've, I've listened to some of your podcasts. I've never participated before, but I'm really happy to take a try at it. And I'm also excited about Danny being out. He'll be out for a week or two, and I think other members of the family will be substituting. But uh, as Lizzie says, we just heard that Dan and Pooja have gone into the hospital, and Pooja's in labor, so maybe the long ordeal of waiting for the time to come (laughs) is over. I know. This little baby definitely gave us a a run for our money on guessing the due date, that's for sure. I I have had some experience doing some etiquette seminars, but this is my first time doing the radio show, so I think it'll be fun. Well, now, you've actually been a bit a part of the Emily Post Institute, so tell us kind of who are you in relation to the family and the business, and like you just said, you've done some of our seminars. Well, Emily Post Institute is technically a corporation which is owned by me and my three siblings. We will be transferring ownership of it to the next generation as time goes on, but my connection has really been nothing more than that. I don't have an official capacity at Emily Post Institute, but from time to time I have taken part in giving business etiquette seminars when the load was so heavy that we didn't have enough other family members to do it. So I got some training in that and did that. And I participate in the annual meetings and discussions about how the Institute is going and what types of things we should be looking for into the future. But really, my brother Peter has been running the Emily Post Institute with my sister-in-law, Peggy, and then Lizzie and Danny, and before Lizzie uh, uh, and Danny, and uh, Lizzie's sister, Anna, were the people who were really in the trenches. And and, uh, Anna is now no longer with the Institute, so 
in the trenches we have Lizzie and Danny, and they're doing a great job. I'm very, very proud of them and very pleased about how things are going. Well, thank you. I, I greatly appreciate that. It's definitely uh, it's good to have the family buy-in. Um, but I'm really excited to have you in particular here today because you actually remember Emily herself. And I would love if you would be willing to share kind of some of your memories of Emily, because that's just not a, you know, my grandparents have all passed away and my father was very young when Emily passed. He was 10. So I don't have those stories that maybe my cousin Peter, your your son would have, or, or I would love to hear anything you have to share with our audience. I, I'm, I'm five years older than Peter was, so I did have a chance to know her at a time when I can remember her. She died in 1960. In the last two or three years of her life, she was not well, and I didn't see her much. But until that, we spent summers in Martha's Vineyard and frequently at her house. And when we went to the vineyard, we would visit her. And I have lots of memories of that. I have memories of of my older brother and I running around through the sprinkler and and playing ball with a big beach ball while my (laughs) great-grandmother laughed and had a great time enjoying her great-grandchildren. She was like out in the yard playing with her great-grandkids. She was. And she was in her uh, early 80s then. And she would sit in a chair with a flower print dress on and uh, a parasol. Uh, uh, yeah, she would. Um, she loved her flower garden. And she was a very active designer of the way the flower garden was. She didn't so much participate in the planting of the plants and the trimming of the leaves and getting the weeds out, but she did with her longtime gardener, yeah. a, a man who worked for her for over 50 years named John Enos, have a magnificent flower garden, which was really uh, nationally famous. It was in lots of postcards and pictures. But more than that, she loved having flowers around her, and she had in the backyard a, a cutting, an actual cutting garden. I remember this. It was, it was grown just for cutting flowers. And while she was in Martha's Vineyard, she had fresh flowers in every room of her house every day. Now, to me, that is the luxury of all luxuries. <laughs> she, she loved that. And she was very good at it. She was particularly good at matching colors. And and various different varieties of flowers. Didn't she have a thing about red flowers? Though? She did. You were not like red shoes. Yes, red flowers. No, that's exactly right. She <laughs> she stayed away from bright red. So she was okay with pinks and magentas, Deep crimsons and things. But we used to uh, on Sundays go have Sunday lunch with her. Mm-hmm. The, the the four of us kids. One one of whom was the youngest was Peter, who was a ba- almost a baby at the time. I remember how relaxed things were there. My friends would say, Emily Postis, your great-grandmother, wow, she must be very, very difficult to be around. And the fact is she was very relaxed at dinner. She she had a rule, and she, she propounded this rule, and we put it in, in all of our etiquette books, that when you are served dinner, if the hostess asks you to begin eating before everybody else is served so your food doesn't get cold, you begin eating. That's absolutely true. And Eat while it's hot was I, our and family I remember her saying motto, that. basically. <laughs> I remember her saying that, and I remember her providing providing us with little plastic ears of corn with spikes on them to hold the corn. Oh, so the little that, holders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then going at the corn wholeheartedly herself. <laughs> and, and I remember I her. I that's a sight a I, lot of Emily files would love. <laughs> yeah, and she never hesitated to uh, eat cooked chicken, cold or hot, with her fingers. With the bone on, right? With this the bone with on. The bone. Yeah, this with the bone, holding the bone. Not, okay. Of course. Yeah. And she always provided finger bowls. And you actually had finger bowls. We did. We did. <laughs> that's not a custom which you see much anymore, although no. I gather they do it in Europe some. I, I have only seen it at a golf club where um, after you do uh, chicken wings, they'll bring out a finger bowl for you. And I said, that's the first time I've ever been served one. And the, the bartender laughed. Right. Well, it wasn't a common experience in no, my life, but it not. was common at, at Emily's house. And oh, you didn't funny. feel that it was overly formal. It was just nice to be able to clean your fingers and your lips <laughs> off. 
She was a woman, though, ahead of her time in a lot of ways. She was a, a wonderful businesswoman and a very influ- influential woman, but mostly she was charming and friendly and warm, and oh. everybody who knew her felt that. She was, a, she was a delight to know, even as a child. Oh, that's so wonderful. I thank you so much for sharing all of that. I hope you well, are very welcome. loved it. Um, but it's so nice to hear that what it always comes back to with Emily is the charm and that friendliness and that warmness and that it's so much about the quality of the interaction, not the finger bowls, but the quality of the interaction. And it's absolutely, and there was nothing haughty about her, and there was nothing standoffish about her, as you might think of somebody whose particular expertise was etiquette. (laughs) I can imagine. Well, Uncle Bill, would you like to join me in giving our listeners some very friendly and warm advice about their etiquette issues? Absolutely. Well, well, I'll do the best I can to to chime in. (laughs) Wonderful. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at our new phone number, 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. We're going to be married in August. Wow, married. That's a tough road, Larry. What are you going to use for money? Uncle Bill, I am going to toss you our first question because you have recently found yourself in this position. It's true. Our question is titled, Beginning Wedding Budget Conversations. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I love listening to you two on my commute. I always enjoy learning about etiquette and partaking in the discussion. Always glad to hear that. And with that, here is my dilemma. This past holiday season, I got engaged. It is all very exciting. And now that we are home and settled, one of the first orders of business is to settle the budget. Shortly after we got engaged at my parents' house in Sonoma, California, we spent New Year's with my fiancé's parents in New York City. This is where the first mention of the budget came up. His mom said that she would need to speak with my parents to settle the budget and to, quote-unquote, split it. I said that I would speak with my parents first because I have no idea what their thoughts are on this and that I would tell my future mother-in-law once I had done so. Now, this would be the first time my parents will be contributing funds to a wedding, if they choose to do so. And on top of it all, my parents are very raise-yourself-up, bootstrap kind of people, so I really have no idea what they would want to give. And I know that my fiancé's family is very generous, and my fiancé and I plan on contributing money, too. We are not solely relying on our parents. My question is, should I speak with my parents and settle the budget with them and then communicate what they would like to give, or should I give them the heads up about the issue and let all four of our parents settle it? And how do I make sure that no one feels like they aren't generous enough or doing their part? We do know that the reception will be on my parents' property, which will save us a lot of money, but will cost money to get it ready for the wedding. I'm not even sure how to start the conversation with my parents without being blunt. Hope you can help with this tricky situation. Sincerely, Alec. Interesting question, Liz. And uh, it's almost as if this question were planted. And I know it wasn't. I know it's legitimate. <laughs> I know it came in. But almost as if it were planted for the, for the time that I happen to be substituting on the show. <laughs> because as it happens, my family, my wife and I and our daughter, went through this exact situation 
Last holiday season. Just this uh, past yeah, Thanksgiving. Th- this, this past Thanksgiving, our daughter, my wife's daughter, my stepdaughter, I refer to her as our daughter, became engaged to a guy that we've known for a long time and like very much. And these very questions were some of the first questions that came up. So here's how we handled it. And it's pretty much what I think you, Alec, would have been thinking about. The first thing that we encouraged our daughter, Jill, to do was to talk to us about Two things. One is what kind of a wedding she wanted, mm-hmm. because that would have obviously a lot to do with what it was going to cost. And then what we thought we would be able to do to help her out. And we want to help her out. And the thing that made it slightly tricky in our case, and this is probably true in half the weddings that happen, is that it's a second marriage and Jill is Maureen's daughter. So Jill has a father with whom Maureen gets along fine. We told Jill, we can't really make any decisions about what we will give or how much we will give until we know what your father's willing to do. And we encouraged Jill to talk to her father sooner rather than later. Uh, he's going to split whatever we put in so that we're each paying roughly the same amount. Ah, I see. You're going to uh, so roughly match. Yeah, whatever our side is, is whatever the whatever bride's the bride side, side is going to put go. in, now we got it. we're going to split. Gotcha, gotcha. And we told that to Jill, and then we started working on a budget based on what she wanted to do. Yeah. And we want this to be Jill's wedding. Maureen and I are not, nor is her father, going to dictate to her what she can do and what she can't do. Oh. We are going to put a cap on what we're going to pay. Yes. So <laughs> she's then got to decide whether or not she wants to exceed that cap by herself, right. or whether she's going to work within it. I think that's brilliant because that al- allows for another thing to happen, which is that um, a lot of couples don't have families that are quite so open. And, and so what they'll do is a lot of times we see this, especially with moms who say, I can't wait to pay for your wedding dress, or grandma says, I want to pay for your wedding dress. And then they say, but you can't get that dress. And all of a sudden there are these expectations that came with the money or, you know, if you accept our money, it has to be at this venue. And I think it, that brings up a really good point that you said to her, we'll give you the money, but we want it to be your wedding and for you to choose. And this is one of those points where when you start having this conversation, it's okay to ask and say, now, do you have any expectations, mom or dad, for this money? Because I want to make sure that if you're going to donate it or give it to me, that you'll feel good about it. And I want to make sure I'm feeling good about what I'm saying yes to. And I think that's an important point. So it's it's wonderful that you've done that. It's an excellent point. It strays a little bit from the boundaries of the question, but it, it will come up. And it's an excellent point. In our case, Within reason, yes, <laughs> we're going to give Jill the money we're going to give her, and her father is, and she's going to do what she wants with it. Um, among other things, it yes. is not easy to find a venue anywhere near the time that you got engaged. And I'll tell you that, that settling on the place has been a huge obstacle to get over and a huge sense of relief having been done because oh, it was so hard for Jill. Pretty sure she wanted one place and then just decided, you know what, I'm just going to wait and, and get that place. Nice. And she did. So. Within reason, going forward, we will continue to fund the wedding up to what we said we would do. We, we're not worried about Jill, but I can I know that with some daughters or sons, you might be worried about some How really weird thing going something. on that you didn't yeah. want it that yeah. you didn't want to support. Yeah, and, and, oh, and that, I understand. Now we get to your question, which is you have the conversation with the child, yeah, about whether or not you expect to have any control over what's happening, right? Because you're giving the money. Yeah. So my feeling is that. No, it's Jill's wedding. Some parents think of weddings being for them, not for their children. But... I, we, you know there's a particular yep. Yep. story in my birth, my other side the, of my family about that. <laughs> the, uh, the thing is, is it okay to put strings on the money? It, yes, it's okay to talk to your children about it and to say, 
what the strings are. What those strings are. So that's the first part of it. Now let's talk about the groom. Right. Do they speak to their individual parents or do the parents immediately all talk together? Now, I'm in the camp that each member of the couple speaks to their families and then kind of talks to each other about what they learned and then brings everyone together. That's exactly right. I think there's a little mediation that should happen. You agree? Yep. Is that what happened with you guys? It is. We told Jill that we we would talk to her, but that we needed to know what Patrick's family was uh, willing and able to do. And and we said that uh, Patrick really has an obligation to talk to his parents as well. Then we can talk to Patrick's parents and and make a decision about sharing costs. To me, I'm something of a traditionalist. The traditional split is that the bride's family pays for the wedding and the groom's family pays for the rehearsal Rehearsal dinner. dinner and honeymoon. That kind of thing, or helps with it, yeah. The one, one thing that's happened a lot over the last 10 or 15 years is that the size and the complexity of the rehearsal dinner has gone way above what it used to be. It used to be a dinner for the people who rehearsed the wedding and that was on the day it. before the wedding. So it was basically the wedding party. Yeah. And maybe one or two siblings if they weren't in the wedding, wedding party. party. Like a grand Now, party. I mean, I'm, I'm going to rehearsal dinners where everybody who comes to the wedding from out of town is invited. It could be, it could be 75 or 80 people. Oh, so it can, be a, it can become a, a big deal. So there, obviously, there needs to be discussion about who's going to pay for that and who's going to chip in. And that discussion needs to happen first between the two participants in the wedding (laughs) and then then between the sets of parents. I think so, too. We've always been in in the camp of you want to kind of first... First, talk to the people you're closest to. So you talk to your parents and then and then bring the parents or exchange the ideas of information and get that that conversation going. One of the things you mentioned traditional, you know, bride side pays for this, groom side pays for that. And one of the reasons that uh, Emily Post Etiquette Advice has changed on who pays for what is because we do have so many multicultural weddings. And there are plenty of cultures where it's actually the groom's family that pays for everything. So if you wound up with a culture like that coming with our own kind of very American culture wedding of bride's family pays for everything, you might have both sets stepping up very eagerly and feeling very great obligation to do this. And yet what you really need is that close and candid conversation about, okay, so we we both had different traditional ideas coming in. How can we layer them so that everyone feels like they're partaking and being responsible, but also not being overburdened? That's absolutely right. And as in with almost any issue that either we or our audience can come up with having to do with etiquette where there are ongoing things to think about. Open communication is the key to getting it right. Absolutely. And, and, and not digging in heels so that if, let's say, you're a member of a culture where the groom's family does pay the wedding, but the bride's family wants to, don't dig in your heels. Negotiate Work it out between the two of you. Yeah. There's going to be give and take on both sides, which, by the way— yeah. It's going to be, have to be happening with the young couple for the rest All of their the lives. All the time. <laughs> so, they're, the more so if they're from a different culture. So yeah. in any event, yes, Lizzie, that's a very good point about the different cultures. And I just put one, one other practical yeah. uh, before we go to the next question. And what Maureen and I decided to do was to spread out our transferring the money to Jill to use it, not because we didn't trust her to, to <laughs> trust use it. Because frankly, <laughs> once we give it to her, she can use it for whatever she wants. Sure. She's, she's still going to have to pay for her wedding. <laughs> but if we just we do it slowly, it just makes it a little easier on us. Okay, and then gotcha. as time comes on, we'll, we'll come up to the total amount. And I so think that's, that's very what her father smart. will do. Very smart. So Alec, there you have it. Probably best that you each speak to your respective parents first and then communicate with each other what you've learned and then get the parents together. It does sound, though, like you've got gung-ho parents who are ready to talk and help and, and navigate how to make this all work. So 
best to you and your partner, and we hope that you guys have a wonderful wedding. Yeah, and let me just say, Alec, I, I, I think from the tone of your question, it's clear to me that you're going to be able to handle this just fine. Why, yes, I think you've made a good start towards getting ready for marriage. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our next question is titled, New Roommates Abroad. The question reads as follows. Firstly, thank you and your production team for producing the podcasts. Such an enjoyable listen. I recently discovered Awesome Etiquette and have been binge listening intensely. (laughs) We like to hear that. Yes, we do. Now, my question. I am a university student and live with my family, still, which is common in Australia, but I am leaving in a month to go on an exchange in Berlin, which means I will be looking for and then sharing an apartment with flatmates. A number of my friends will also be in Europe at the same time, and we're hoping to visit each other across Europe, firstly because we're friends, and secondly because it probably won't cost as much in accommodation, which is a real concern for students. However, I don't wish to irritate my potential flatmates or inconvenience them. Obviously, I would invite friends who I trust to be courteous and respectful, and I would try and cover increased cleaning, utilities, etc. during the stay. But I was wondering if you could give me any other tips or advice which you think would be useful in this situation. Should I tell potential roommates when I meet them for the interview for the apartment tour? Should I try and find out when my roommates have any particularly stressful times, e.g. exams, and avoid having people over during these times? Thank you both for your help. Isla. 
Oh, Isla, fabulous question. Can you hear it? I can hear it. Clearly, Isla is a very thoughtful individual who can see the potential impact of her actions on others and potentially of theirs on on her, too. I think, Isla, that you are so smart to be thinking about this now. Um, My first book was on, on roommate etiquette, and one of the first things that we talked about in it is list your expectations for the place. Don't don't demand them. They aren't demands, but you want to, I, I'm absolutely in favor of Isla talking with whomever it is that she does roommate interviews with, because I think it'll give her the chance to hear what these folks are like, get a sense for whether their friends are going to be coming and going all the time. I feel like it's the perfect time to discuss it. You don't want to discuss it after you've already said yes, and then all of a sudden you learn they're going to have a party house for the next three months and you need to study. Um all of these, I think, are a great time. And and if, if you need the, the language, I would wait till the end of the interview. And uh, if they haven't said, do you have any more questions? I would say, you know, I did have one thing that I've been thinking about and wanted to ask you about. I would say something along the lines of, uh, I wanted to get a feel for, for your expectations or your views on extended visits. You know, I'm going to be abroad. You know, my friends are all excited thinking they're going to have a place to come stay. But before I say, yes, come for a week or two, I'd I'd much rather know the preference of my flatmates. I think if someone said that to me, Uncle Bill, if I'm interviewing for a roommate, I would think of them as, wow, this person thinks ahead. This is great. Hoorah. (laughs) I mean, what do you think? I I think that's true. And I think that the key, as is in the case with with almost any etiquette situation, is communication. And and opening up this for for discussion before you get involved with the roommate is crucial because if you don't do that and you start living in the flat with your new proposed roommate or roommates and then your friends start coming to visit and your your roommate say, well, you didn't tell us you were going to have friends. We, we, we don't have time to be putting up with friends. You need to know that in advance. You also need to be really careful about letting your potential flatmates know that if you do have visitors, you are going to be responsible for them. You, yes. will, you, will, you will ask them to leave if they behave inappropriately. You would help take care of the extra expenses. Oh, she did, yeah. yeah. Already, had, right. already thinking about the impact it, exactly. that cleaning in an extra person or possibly extra utilities would be, yeah. Right. So, But once it's out in the open, then the discussion is going to sort of follow on, uh, on its own Naturally. Strength, right? And good for you for even thinking that it would be a problem because there are a lot of kids your age who would not be thinking that way. And what I love about it is it takes so much worry off the other person's shoulders. So if a a roommate was coming to live with me and right from the get-go, they're listing using their forethought all the ways that things, you know, hey, I'll pay for extra cleaning. If anything goes wrong, you know, I'll recommend the motel down the street. Like those kinds of things are things to me that suggest I understand that I don't know or not everything might go perfectly, but I'm willing to handle it and be responsible for it if it doesn't so that it doesn't impact your life in your home. And I think it takes so much worry out of the equation. And the worry is where you start to get the rudeness and the silly retaliatory behavior and the assumptions and all the crud that can make, you know, relationship issues go wrong. And a roommate is a relationship issue. And I think Isla, whoever gets to live with you is going to be really lucky. <laughs> I, I, I have I have nothing more I can add to that. Uh, you, you covered it beautifully, Liz, and you're absolutely right about how you answered that, in my opinion. So, Isla, I, I know you're going to have a great year in Berlin and traveling around Europe, and good luck when your friends come to visit. I think it'll be a lot of fun. 
Okay, I am going to be really curious to hear your answer to this next question, Uncle Bill. It's titled, Thanks for that job I already have. Hello, Dan and Lizzie. I teach at a college where faculty must apply for reappointment every few years. This involves a fairly lengthy process of describing one's teaching philosophy, reviewing one's own work in various categories, such as scholarship and service, providing an updated curriculum vitae, etc., The application initially goes to a committee. A recommendation is then made to the dean, who then submits a recommendation to the president, who makes the final decision. My question is, when an approval of reappointment letter is received from the president, is a thank you note appropriate? If so, to whom should it be sent? Should it be sent to the president only, or should it also be sent to the dean as well as the committee? It feels a little funny Maybe even obsequious to th- <laughs> just so you know, I got big cheers from my uncle Bill. It took me like three times to pronounce that word correctly to send thanks for letting me keep my job. Not that I would phrase it like that. On the other hand, it also feels a bit odd to not acknowledge the work that everyone did in considering a lengthy application and then to not express appreciation for the renewal of my contract. I previously worked in the business sector where you generally do not have to apply to keep your job, but instead are reviewed periodically by a supervisor. I find this process in academia somewhat awkward. I should add that this is a small college where most people know one another. I see all of those involved in the rehiring decision around campus on a regular basis. So please tell me your thoughts on how to proceed. Sincerely, thanks for keeping me around? Question mark? (laughs) Obsequious. Is that right? Well said. Okay. (laughs) Uh, this is actually not, in my opinion, a difficult question to answer. It's an interesting question, but yeah. not difficult to answer because the answer is you can never go wrong sending a thank you note. I agree. And I would <laughs> recommend wholeheartedly that you write a note. And it doesn't have to be long or sound obsequious or anything else. It can be something as simple as dear dean so-and-so or dear president so-and-so. And I'll interrupt myself to tell you, I think the note should go both to the dean and the president and not to all the people on the committee. Not but, the committee. Okay. But so, dear Dean Smith, thanks a lot for approving my reappointment. It means a lot to me. Best, thanks for keeping me around. <laughs> Question mark. Or whatever your name <laughs> whatever is. Your name really, is. Just, a, just a short note to let them know you appreciate the fact that they considered you and that they thought you were good enough to keep you around. We understand how this thank you note could seem awkward to write, but if you keep it simple, it's the right thing to do. And it is a part of the process, so I think it's I think it's appropriate to give the thanks. But that was interesting. You said not to the committee. Now, I'm wondering, because often we will say that you do want to write a note to everyone, but I'm wondering if our, our listener actually had to present her material and her job and everything to the committee or if it was... Because typically we say if you've met with people in person, you should send the thank you note for that. And it seems obnoxious because if you do meet with a 10-person committee, that's a 10-person, 10 thank you Yeah, I, I, Too much overkill? Yeah, I think, think so. And yeah. it's, it's, it's the president who made the final decision, and the dean basically recommended it to the president. So the, the recommendation The, the president didn't take, didn't take part in the committee meetings. Right. The dean may or may not have. Right. And I, I don't think it's necessary to write to all of them. And that might actually seem a little obsequious or overkill. Yeah. Added to which, in, in this question— the 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 writer the uh, the thanks for keeping me around person 
said that he, he or she bumps into his colleagues all the time. Right, exactly. So you can thank Say them personally thank them there. Person. But I think a nice I little note right. to the dean and the president would do it. And I would send them to those business addresses or to their to their offices on campus. You yes. don't need a lot of people get worried. Well, I don't have their home address. You send it to the office. Yes, it's totally that's fine. right. Good point. So congratulations on keeping your job for another round of, of the next few years. We hope that the, the thank you notes feel good to send and that you should send them with confidence. So then we have a question with a slightly different kind of tone to it. (laughs) It's called, the name of the question is, My yard is not your bathroom. (laughs) Dear Lizzie and Dan, My husband and I have been living in a townhouse community for 16 years. A couple and their little dog moved into the townhouse next to us six months ago. We don't know them very well, but we do have a newish neighborly relationship and chat with them on occasion about happenings in the neighborhood and so forth. They just welcomed a new baby into their family in December. He came a few weeks early. We realize they have had a lot on their plates right now, but recently we've noticed they've been letting their dog roam free in our yard, and the dog has been relieving itself there. My husband was putting holiday decorations away in our cellar when he noticed the dog sniffing around, and he nearly stepped in her recent addition to our yard. They also have discarded their Christmas tree in their backyard, which we've been looking at for over a week now. Our tree pickup date, which was last Wednesday, has been well published on the neighborhood Facebook page and email distribution. My husband and I have been trying to come up with a way to politely ask them to abide by county lease laws and remove their Christmas tree from their yard. We don't want to put them on the defensive and want to be sensitive to the fact that they are new parents. We are trying to give them the benefit of the doubt and think that they are not intentionally being disrespectful. We also think we need to say something to them and not just suck it up and quietly clean up after their dog. A sample script would be very much appreciated. Thank you. Unaware our backyard is a bathroom. (laughs) What do you say, Liz? I say I feel for you and I respect the fact that you you are um, doing what we so often say to do, which is to consider who's involved and how they're affected without letting yourself be trampled upon in the process. I think you're very smart to look at this couple and say, hey, you know, they had a baby. The baby came a few weeks early. If this is their first baby, that's like you throw someone's whole world upside down with that. But at the same time, as responsible homeowners, I think they should be held accountable. I don't think that their their neighbor should have to have their dog, you know, peeing on the lawn, especially when the neighborhood itself has rules about, you know, dogs needing to be on leashes and such. I would let the tree thing go. I understand it might be considered an eyesore to look at, but I think you're dealing with a couple who's got their hands very, very full. They missed the tree deadline. In fact, I would not ask them about it. I would say, could I help you and take that to the dump for you? I would offer to get rid of it. That is the best way to deal with that situation. Nagging them about it or asking them politely even, I think, is just, come on, let's let's take a simple solution to this. So get the tree out of the way. As for the dog, now you can tell me what you think about this one, Uncle Bill, but... I, I, I'm i thinking my neighbor has a new baby and life is chaotic for them. I might maybe, and I'm not usually in, in the category of let's try manipulation tactics, but I might be in the category of thinking maybe I could do a couple nice things for them and their baby before I go and ask for this favor, just to show them both through words and actions that I'm on their side. So I might, I might consider baking lasagna and, and delivering it one night 
maybe a week or two prior to asking. Is that sneaky? Is that is that scroungy? Is that yucky? What do you think? Well, I have a slightly different take on that. Okay. And my, that take is, I think you should take bake the, bala- the lasagna, lasagna or whatever, and or, or some brownies or whatever, and take it over anyway, anyway, regardless of whether there's a problem. Well, sure. So, so having said that, then the answer to your question is yes, take this stuff over, do it. Yeah. but don't then. In the next day or that no, at no, that no, meeting, no. suggest that you want their dog to stop pooping yeah, in your yard. You've got to have some appropriate right. time. So, so make the, the nice gesture whether there's a problem or not. Yeah. And then, yes, do bring up the thing with the dog. And the question suggests that they'd like a script. I can't give you an exact script, but it should be very simple and low key. And, and by the way, We've been having an issue with your dog has been coming over and pooping on our lawn, and we haven't wanted to bother you about this while you've had the baby, but we really hope that at some point here you can take control of the situation because we really don't think the dog should be pooping in our lawn. Yeah, as, I, as simple as that. What I like about that, I would judge it ever so slightly, but I love the fact that what you recognize in that is we certainly don't want to add to what you're you're handling right now with a new baby, early baby, all of that. I think those are the kinds of uh, things that when you add them to a sample script, you are literally telling the other person that you see and understand their perspective and their situation. What you don't want to be is the neighbor showing up and saying, could you get your dog to stop pooping on my lawn? I mean, that that's going to get the door slammed in the face right away. Most people when they find out that something of theirs has been affecting someone else, they actually feel badly about it. They, uh, exactly. I, I was, I was going to say, if, if somebody came to me and told me that my dog was was pooping on their lawn and I didn't know I'd it, I'd feel, be mortified. I'd be more, I exactly. was, this happened to me this spring, last yeah. summer, and I was mortified. And it was, it, I went right over, I picked up every poop I could find. Um, so I don't think reminding them is a bad thing, but it's all in how, you know, we say this in the seminars all the time, it's all in how you do it. And I think, Coming to them with that how of, listen, I really don't want to bother you guys right now, but this has become a problem, and I know you're, you're handling a lot, but I'd love it if this is something that could get taken care of. Yeah, and I'd, I would be very surprised if that doesn't take care of the situation. I, would, I hope it does. I hope it does. If it didn't, what, do you, what, would you, what might you suggest? I would go back to them again in a week or two and, and say, look, we really do need to have this stop. And um, again, I'm sure that you've been so busy you've overlooked it. And then if it continues, then you need to call the uh, association or the the, uh – the people who enforce the uh, pet laws in the town. Right, something like that. We, yeah. we had to do that one time. It didn't have to do with pooping. A dog that was yapping in the middle of the night. Oh. I mean, it kept on happening. I don't quite understand why these neighbors didn't hear it, but we, we did call them and ask them, and they said they would stop it. They were nice, but the dog got out a few times, and we did have to call the animal control, and that, that finally took care of it. Yeah. So there you have it, some simple sample language of just, I don't want to add more poop to the life of parents yeah. with a newborn. <laughs> but we've noticed in the past few weeks that, you know, Fido has been relieving himself on the line, and we'd so appreciate it if you could take care of it when that does happen. Um, I think that, that, you know, in that first round, too, I would not do things like remind the couple of the leash law. No, I wouldn't no. do that. I don't. You don't want to take it far. You don't. The funny thing is, people, Uncle Bill, I find they all the time are trying to build up huge cases to back their one point that is actually a very reasonable ask. When said politely and understanding that the other people have probably just overlooked this, it's going to go over very smoothly. I think. I do too. I think that's exactly right. Wonderful. Well, best of luck to you. Hope your backyard returns to being a yard very soon. Mm-hmm. 
And now it's time for our feedback segment, one of my favorite sections of our show. And our first piece of feedback comes from R, who wrote to us way back in in March. Actually, she wrote in March of 2015. Uh, She was thinking about Christmas and she was thinking about gift exchanges. And she had written in asking about what should one side of the family do? Because some people have different budgets. Not everybody can give gifts to everybody. It's starting to become a mess. And uh, we had given the advice of potentially doing a cousin gift exchange, much like the one that we do in our family, where one cousin gives to another cousin and each year it rotates. So it's kind of like a round robin of gift exchanges. And so R writes to us now with her update saying, hello, Lizzie and Dan. Here's an update from way back. One of your suggestions to my question was a cousin gift exchange. I suggested this to my husband's family this year, and they loved the idea. It turns out a few of them did have financial constraints, which is why they didn't send gifts to all the cousins. Sending just one gift was manageable for all of us, and those who were unable to participate previously were especially grateful. It was also more meaningful to have the kids give gifts to each other instead of receiving a pile of gifts from aunts and uncles. I'm sure we'll do this again next year and for many years to come. I look forward to the kids taking on the tradition and someday including spouses, just as you, the wonderful posts, have done. (laughs) Thank you for making etiquette so accessible and for suggesting real ways to make our lives more considerate, respectful, and honest. All my best from R. Isn't that nice? I like our cousin exchange. That's very nice. And that cousin exchange has worked for us and our family for, what, 25 or 30 years anyway, more. It's Yeah. I mean, since we've been able to give gifts. (laughs) And we recommend it to anybody out there who has that issue. And in fact, in our family, we also do it with brothers and sisters. I was going to say, we do it on two generational levels. That's correct. And I know other families that mix the generations, like my friend Kelly Williams-Brown, she actually, in her family, the bigger family gift exchange, gave to her mother in one particular year. And I think that that can be kind of cool, too. So so the point is there are variations on the theme. Oh, yeah. But... um, it's pretty easy to keep a spreadsheet of showing who 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 gave to who each year, and just to it happens that my sister keeps it for our family, yes. and <laughs> she sends out a email in around Once October of every year and <laughs> reminds us who's giving to who that year. It's very helpful, and the spirit of Christmas and giving is maintained, and budgets are kept within limits. That's my favorite part. Yeah. <laughs> Our next piece of feedback comes from Whitney, who sent us a voice memo with her thoughts on a question from episode 121 about emailing invitations to families. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. Congratulations on the show reboot. I'm writing about a letter in episode 121 where a woman was worried about coordinating family invitations via email and whether to email everybody in a family or just the head of the family. One point that didn't come up was that often women bear the workload of coordinating family tasks and a lot of families are trying to make this more shared. And if someone assumes that the woman in the family will be the one to coordinate, that might have been what they were pushing back against. Um, A lot of families want to try to spread the work of worrying and coordinating and planning um, more equitably and not to make assumptions that the woman will necessarily do it. And I don't know if this caller did that. Um, Perhaps she really did ask every couple who would be the point person. But sometimes when people assume that a certain family member will be the point person, that can lead to trouble. Thanks. 
Whitney, that's an excellent point and one that I think many wives and mothers out there are raising their hands saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. I also really appreciate that you are not assuming that our listener had done just that. And I think that it's um, it's an excellent point to bring up that any time we do start assuming is usually when we tend to get into trouble. Would you agree, Uncle Bill? I would agree. And I, and I think that um, uh, Whitney phrased the, uh, a voice memo to us perfectly. It, it, it couldn't have been better done. Well, thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates, and please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. And now it's time for our postscript segment, where we delve a bit deeper into the world of etiquette. We do indeed. And in this particular segment, um, it's a little bit different than our usual segment. I had an interesting phone call the other day. One of our fellow etiquette experts, she runs a different brand of etiquette, called up the Institute after receiving our newsletter and said, I have a discrepancy. (laughs) And I said, oh, really? What is that? And we got into this very friendly debate about thank you notes. Now, you all have heard us cover thank you notes a million and one times on this show, and we will never stop doing so. Um, But this was interesting. We at the Emily Post Institute have always said that if you receive a gift and open it in person and are able to thank the giver in person, that that truly is the highest form of thank you you could possibly give. And that in the absence of being able to do that, so when someone sends a gift to you, that you should send a thank you note. And my dear etiquette expert friend said, I disagree. I think that if you receive a gift from someone, whether you open it in person or not, you should send a thank you note. And this blew my mind because it was the first time I had heard someone have the note itself try to trump an in-person thank you. And coming from the world of Emily Post etiquette, Emily Post herself had uh, some wonderful words about how an in-person thank you is the kind of highest order of thank you you could give because you get all the emotion and all of the interaction in that moment that a letter, while beautiful and you can see the person's writing and it's clearly been touched by their hand, it doesn't quite have the same delivery. So I am both curious to our audience. I would love your opinion. And I am throwing this post script segment to be a, a, a wonderful exploration of my Uncle Bill's thoughts on this matter. What do you think? Do you think in-person is, is worthy enough? Well, I said earlier in the show that you can never go wrong with a thank you true. note. Very true. And that's true in this case, too. Yes. You cannot go wrong writing a thank you note, even if you have thanked the person in person. Okay. However, I happen to disagree with your friend in this case, and I don't know that this is a hard and fast etiquette rule. I think it's all a matter of consideration, respect, and honesty, if you've opened the present in front of the person and thanked them and tried it on and said how much you enjoyed it, there isn't any reason or necessity, I should say, to send a thank you note. Um, Because if if you and I exchanged gifts at a birthday or or if I gave you a birthday gift, I just would not – and you opened it in front – I just would not expect that. Exactly. Exactly so. And the thank you that I gave you should have been uh, adequate. Right. There is a – a gray area in this, which is where somebody at a big gathering gave 
you were present, and maybe you didn't open it at the gathering, or you did, but the person didn't see you open it, and you didn't thank them personally, even though that person, the giver, was yep. at the event, then a thank you notice in order for sure. Absolutely. I agree. And, and a lot of people ask, well, why can't, if it, my aunt gave me something and she's just, you know, in the next time, why can't I just call her up and thank her? You can, but a thank you note is nicer. No, it absolutely. It's, a, a handwritten thank you note is much nicer. And by that, I mean not emailed. Right. No, absolutely. <laughs> handwritten. I also think that there are, as, as our listeners have always said, there are exceptions to every rule. And if you have the type of relationship where, for instance, with my goddaughters, I would rather have the video of them opening the gift than the note. At some point, my best friend and I have talked about that we will put the importance on them writing the thank you note, but that for now what I care about is getting a little FaceTime or something like that going with them or video chat or something so that we can have that connection because I'm not around all the time. But what I thought was interesting was that my friend was saying – So this person has taken the time to go out and purchase you a gift and then wrap it meticulously, which I think shows that in her world, everybody does that, which most people in my world just hit click and it sends to my house and it's not even wrapped. Um, But wrapped meticulously. And and then you're going to say that just, oh, thanks, Uncle Jim, for this gift is enough. I said, well, yes, I do think it's enough. And she says, no, it's not. They've put so much time and effort into creating and making and doing this nice thing for you. You owe them the time and effort of a note. What do you think about that argument? We'll have to d- agree to disagree. I agree. I'm, I'm on your side. I'm just bringing and, and, up the points again, I was getting. And again, <laughs> you're not going to do yourself any harm by writing the thank you note. I agree. And, but I also think you're not going to do yourself any harm by not writing a thank you note in this case if you've done the thank you in, in person. person. I, I have a funny little anecdote. Oh, do you? A couple of weeks ago I was with my son and his son, my grandson, who is eight. And uh, we were out to lunch or something and shortly afterwards we were headed back to my house and my son Peter – said that he had to go because he was taking Alex to a friend's house for a little get-together of eight-year-olds, the purpose of which was for them to all sit down and write thank you notes. Ah, I love it! The mother of the host had decided that that would be a good idea to get these kids to write their thank you notes. Oh, especially for little boys? I think that is a genius idea. So Alex went over and wrote a bunch of thank you notes. And I say that only because I'm so used to to little girls who will want to, you know, draw and do things and all that. And then the boys are like, can we please go kick the ball around or play video games? Um, And not that little girls can't also want those things. But I think that's a genius idea. Little kid, a little thank you thank note you party, note party. Mm-hmm. and it gets all of them encouraged. They know their friends are doing it, so there is no, well, Jimmy doesn't have to right. kind of crud around it. Oh, I love that idea. Well, we have brought this up mainly because we would love to hear your feedback on this. As we say, we are arbiters of etiquette. We're, you know, we're like the social barometer. Um, we would love to hear kind of uh, wh- what do you think? Do you think that if you've, if you've done the in-person thank you, do you still need to send that handwritten note as well? Or is the handwritten note really the is, – is that the one that trumps everything? So please, please, please give us a call. Send us your emails. Whatever method works for you, we would love to have your opinion on this subject. I think that's a good thank you note. Do you want to hear it? All right. You know, I think writing letters is going to be a lot of fun. And now it's time for our etiquette salute. And today our salute comes from Audrey. Audrey wrote, Hello, Dan and Lizzie. I'd love to share an etiquette salute with you. Recently, my uncle, by marriage, suffered the loss of his father. My extended family pitched in and sent a flower arrangement to the memorial service. A week later, my uncle called me to personally thank me for sending the flowers. Not only did he call me, but he called every single person whose name was on the card. 
I later learned that on behalf of his family, he called everyone who sent a flower arrangement in memory of his father. It might sound like a small thing, but it was a thoughtful gesture that meant a lot to me. Since we live far away and aren't close, we don't communicate very often. Not only was it nice for him to sit down and call everyone to say thank you, but it was nice just to talk to him for a few moments and express my condolences. It offered an opportunity for me to personally tell him that I was keeping him and the rest of his family in my thoughts without me feeling like I was intruding on him in his time of grief. Just thought I would share this kind and thoughtful gesture with you, the awesome etiquette experts. Thank you, and keep up the great work on the podcast. I love to listen. Audrey. That so a that's nice the salute. that's a nice salute, a very nice salute, and I wholeheartedly um, endorse all of not only what the uncle did, but what you, Audrey, did in response and how you felt about it. Yeah, I think so too. It's so nice to have that moment where you can connect, and I think Audrey brought up a point that I think is really important. A lot of people, even though they're close, this is her uncle. She didn't feel that comfortable reaching out to him during a time of grief. And I think that's true. People often want to give people privacy, and yet connection tends to be what helps. And the uncle inviting that connection in is a real beautiful thing. It's true. My experience as I've gone through life and experienced various different uh, uh, grief scenarios is that, like writing a thank you note, you can never go wrong expressing your condolences and expressing to the person who's suffering grief that you're thinking about them and you care about them. So don't worry about intruding on anybody. We love hearing about good etiquette out in the world and that it can come in so many forms. So don't be shy. Send us your etiquette salute. We love hearing from you. Uncle Bill, thank you so much for coming and doing the show with me today. I am sorry that we didn't have the rush to the hospital, the baby was born announcement while we were recording. I was kind of hoping for that. But. Me, me too. I, my, my phone buzzed in my pocket. I thought maybe and that I was And I thought it. maybe that was the text. <laughs> I, that's why you saw me take my phone out. I know. See, all these things that go on when we're not on, because we're not on camera. Um, but I truly thank you so much. I am, I'm so excited for our listeners to have gotten the chance to hear another Post family member voice. And I hope that you will come back and join me at some other point as a guest host. Well, it's been my pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed getting prepared for it and <laughs> loved spending some time with you, Lizzie. And uh, if you need somebody to help you host some other time, I'll be here. Yay! <laughs> and thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, Dan is at Daniel underscore post, and I am at Lizzie A. Post. And please send Dan your congratulations via Twitter. I know he's going to be so excited to share his new little baby girl with everybody. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And please help us out. Subscribe on iTunes. And if you like us, leave us a review. Our show is edited by the amazing Chris Albertine. <laughs> <laughs>